Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning dear friends, we are sauntering again. Um, So here we go, we're in Genesis chapter 14 today. And this is an amazing chapter with some very unusual guest appearances. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us and speak to us today. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We absolutely love you. We need you every moment. Lord, we know that we can't live this life without you empowering us and forming Jesus in us. So as we look at this um chapter today we ask you to do precisely that in jesus name amen good morning kathy and allison great to see you guys so here we go genesis chapter 14 oh is my recording going here yep uh so here we go so chapter 14 verse 1 in the day or in the days of, and we've got some unusual names, so you'll have to bear with me with pronunciation. In the names of Amraphel, or Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. <laughs> they sound like <laughs> dwarfs from the Lord of the Rings, don't they? Anyway, real people. Um, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom. Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shember, Shem, yeah, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Just call it the Salt Sea, my advice. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, sorry, I'm just seeing um, your comment, Fran, about Cole's eye. We'll pray for Cole in a minute, so... Uh, so this, the Salt Sea, 12 years later, they, sorry, 12 years, they had served Chedorlaomer, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year, Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shava Kiriathaim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. Now, the historians tell us that these guys were just like a wave of destruction that swept through the region 
if anyone's studied um, people like Genghis Khan and Tamerlane, there's, sorry, itchy nose, the same thing happened in Central Asia time and again. These hordes would come and just destroy everything and just leave smoldering ruins in their wake. And these guys were precisely like that. They made war with the kings of the valley. And if you remember, that was where Lot was. And so Lot was directly in the line of fire for these guys. Now, these guys weren't just any old kings. They had managed to defeat the Rephaim who were giants. So these guys were a war machine that must have been utterly terrifying. And they just, apparently they just left everything flat. They decimated the towns and villages and destroyed the um, fields and so on. It was customary in the time of um, Genghis Khan and Tamerlane and those guys in Central Asia that when they conquered a region, they threw rocks on the fields as well to make them even more uh, just everything more difficult for everybody following on from that. So this was a terrifying thing. And then the king of Sodom, king of Gomorrah, the king of Adna, Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now, the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, um and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went on their way. Good morning, Fliss. Good morning, Lorna. Good morning, Rosemary. And so this was a devastating thing. You remember when Lot looked out and he saw this valley? He thought, wow, this is like the Garden of God. This is amazing. He looked at the cities. They were big and prosperous. Now these kings have come and literally robbed everything. They've literally kind of scooped up everything of value and taken it off with them. The, the residents of the city have either been killed or they've fallen into these tar pits or they've run up into the mountains to hide utter devastation and you can imagine this is this is a terrifying time for Lot and his family. These tar pits evidently are where the um, crude oil or bitumen or stuff that's under the soil, the sub subterranean reservoirs and deposits of it kind of come up near the surface and they bleed up through and then the the kind of petroleum and the lighter oils evaporate and you're left with this gooey sticky asphalt like you would put on the roads and can you imagine falling into one of these pits not knowing it's there because you're running for your life and literally you're being chased by this hairy guy with a beard and a spear and suddenly gloop you're up to your neck in black stuff and you just <laughs> oh utterly terrifying so this was a bad day for everybody in the valley now bear in mind these were wicked people this often in the Old Testament, the enemy comes as a kind of indication that God is not happy with the way these people are living. And it's a kind of judgment from God. In fact, 
I I don't want to say I don't want to agree with him, but um, going back to Genghis Khan, he actually said to people, "I am the judgment of God. I am literally coming here to judge you." Wow, coffee coming up. Excuse me if you're on the um, podcast. That probably sounds a bit gross. I apologise. Um, so here we go. So this is a bad day, and Lot and his wife and all of their stuff has been taken into captivity with these warriors. Good morning, Pat and Mike. So then one who had escaped came and told Abram or Abram, the Hebrew who was living by the Oaks of Mamre, the at the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and Aner, and these were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and he brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions, and the women and the people. So this is incredible, isn't it? Now this is the first time we hear of Abraham or Abram as he was still then. And I keep wanting to call him Abraham because Abram or Abram sounds kind of dumb. And I want to say Abraham because we know who we're talking about then. But this is the first time we hear of Abram being referred to as a Hebrew. And so here he's called Abram the Hebrew. Now that means from the other side, from over the other side. So it meant that he was like someone who'd come into the region. So he's like a foreigner, really. Um, but the word got taken to him by someone who'd survived that his nephew Lot and his family and everything else. And he told them of this great defeat and this great destruction on the city. And you can imagine Abraham thinking, gosh, I really need to do something. This is my nephew. I know we went our separate ways, but he's still my family. And he rustles up his private militia of 318 men who had been born in his house. This is really significant to me because God had called Abraham, Abraham to be a father of nations. He hasn't yet had any children of his own, but he's doing his destiny already. He's called to be a father. He's not at home twiddling his thumbs trying to work out a strategy to get his wife pregnant. He's not doing that. He's getting on with what he's called to do. He's called to be an entrepreneur, an early an early apostle, really. He's bringing a culture into a region. He's challenging the culture of the region with worshipping the one true God. He's building altars to the one true God. He's establishing a different culture in a foreign land. And he's training his household. He's got 318 guys who are warriors because he's been a father to them. I hope somebody's listening to me this morning because I think this is really, really cool. This is really good. It's really important. We may not have come into our ultimate destiny that God has prophesied over us, but we can still move into our destiny and begin to fulfill that in the areas of our lives and begin to demonstrate the call on our lives by just bringing the culture of heaven into our environment, um, our business, our workplace, our home. 
we have a house guest at the moment and you can hear he's playing the little musical Santa outside. <laughs> he press a button and starts singing these horrible songs. Anyway, we love having a little house guest. So here we go. So this is this is really, really significant. This is this is Abraham demonstrating the call of God on his life just by being himself and naturally being a father to these guys who are in his household, who are actually no biological relation to him. And then he goes on as well, and he's a father to Lot. Lot has been taken over, overrun by an enemy too powerful for him. And Abraham is a father to him, and he says, I'm going to go and rescue this lad who's up to his neck in it. Thankfully, he didn't fall into one of the pits. Otherwise, there would have been no one to rescue. Anyway, here we go. So he pursues these guys, wins an incredible victory. And it says, then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman lot with his possessions and the women and the people. That is a beautiful picture of a deliverer. Now, God has called you and I to be deliverers even when we're not yet in the possession of perhaps the ultimate promise. He still didn't have a son, but he was still a deliverer. And he was bringing salvation into people's lives. He was bringing wholeness and restoration. These words are so important. They're so central to the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to restore wholeness into broken lives. He came to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the oppressed free, to set captives free. This is Abraham demonstrating kingdom in his own affairs. Now, to us, it looks like a war and it looks like a battle against a formidable foe. And we don't do battle like that anymore. Paul says we don't wage war like the world does. So don't start training a militia in your house, but do train disciples to win people for Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife team, they took this young guy called Apollos and they took him into their home and they trained him to understand the word of God more adequately. Now, I'm, I know there are people watching here who do that already. Pat and Mike, you do that. You take people into your home and you train them in, in how to listen to God and how to follow God. And that's fantastic. That is being a spiritual mum and dad and just producing kingdom in people's lives. I love it. Now, here we go. So verse 17, we get introduced to a mystery character who we know very little about, but he's tantalizing and fascinating. I love this little section. So after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, who actually Abraham is rescued, <coughs> excuse me. So even though the king of Sodom is a, is a wicked guy, Abraham's rescued him along with the other guys because he happened to be one of the hostages taken with Lot, his nephew. And so he's obviously very grateful to Abraham. And so he comes out and says, after the re his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, 
that is the King's Valley and Melchizedek. Maybe the, the King of Sodom never even went to battle anyway, because sometimes they just send their little vassals in, don't they? And the people <laughs> go out and fight the battle for them. Anyway, this king was very grateful to Abraham. And he went out to meet him. And listen to this. Who else came out to meet him? Verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Wow. Now, this is wonderful because we don't know anything much about Melchizedek, but suddenly there he is. He comes out to meet Abraham. Abraham has won a victory. He has established the kingdom. He's done some kingdom stuff. He's brought restoration and deliverance and freedom to the captives. And now this guy, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Salem is from the word shalom, which means peace and wholeness and wealth, wellness and well-being and blessing and all the rest of it. It's a great word. It's utterly loaded with meaning. But this guy is called the king of Salem. But his name Melchizedek means also king of righteousness. So he's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. How amazing. Where is he from? We don't even know. Salem, was it Jerusalem? Some people think it may have been Jerusalem. Um, who knows? But he's the king of this region, and he's also a priest, as we, it says, a priest of God Most High. We didn't even know there were any priests. This is the first we've heard about priests in the whole Bible. And here's, here he is, just turning up. I just love that because you know, you know, there's a whole backstory to all of this stuff that we're not getting. What we're getting is just a description of the genealogy and the life of the people who lead us directly to Jesus. Now, Melchizedek wasn't a biological relative of Jesus, but he is a foreshadowing. He's an early appearance of uh a kind of Jesus-like person in the Old Testament. And we'll talk a bit more about him in a second. But he brings out bread and wine. How significant is that? Well, it's really, really significant because it's the basis of a simple meal in the Mediterranean and the East, a bread, flatbread and wine. It was very common, but it was also a meal that was associated with covenant. And when they um, when these guys made covenants, they would sometimes solemnize it with a meal. Now, what what is happening here is the um, Melchizedek is coming out and he's kind of bringing a precursor to the Holy Communion meal. And he's bringing it to God's promised kind of representative on the earth, Abraham. And so he blesses him and he says, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. So what he's doing as well, he's given Abraham a bit more understanding, a little bit more theology to go with what he already has, that God most high is actually the possessor of heaven and earth and he owns everything. So even in this statement, there's something very, very crucial and it triggers something in Abraham's heart. 
and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So he's saying to Abraham, listen, God owns everything, Abraham. Everything you see around you, heaven and earth, it all belongs to God. And he's the one who's given you this victory. He's the one who's made you successful today with 318 men against a vast, vast army. That was God. So he's helping Abraham understand the dynamics of what's going on here. He's bringing wisdom and understanding into Abraham's life. And that is the role of a priest, is that we bring wisdom and understanding. We bring a God perspective into situations. Now, you and I, who, have followed, who are followers of Jesus, are called to be priests. And Malachi says that from the lips of a priest, we should seek knowledge. So we should go to the priest and ask for knowledge. People should come to us and say, what does this mean? What do you think this means? Is this from God? Someone the other day just sent me a text said, I've had this really incredible dream. I really don't understand it. And, but I think it's a kind of significant dream. So she sends me this message and it's like a really clear, in my opinion, it's a really clear dream from the Lord where God is speaking to her and me and the church i believe and my job as a priest as a servant as a someone who knows jesus is to bring her some wisdom and understanding of what that dream means and so my job then is to if i can't see the meaning from the lord in the moment then my job is like daniel to go back to the lord and say god what does this dream mean interpret it for me now god speaks god i believe listen to me <laughs> I know I'm on one this morning, but listen, God is going to be speaking to people in dreams all around you, Christians, non-Christians. He's going to be invading their sleep patterns with dreams and they're going to wake up and think that was more than just a normal dream. This was a significant dream. I don't know why I'm terrified about it or I'm shaking. I've woken up thinking, boy, this is one of those dreams that should be taken notice of. And they'll come to you and me and they'll say, can you explain? This is my dream. Do you know what it means? What do you think it means? Our job then is to be full of that spirit of wisdom and interpret the dream. Anyway, I have strayed off from the text, but it's an important point to make. Whoa. So listen, God, Ab Melchizedek says, God possesses everything. And it's God, Abraham, who's given you this victory. This didn't just happen because you're a good guy and you trained an army. Well done for that and everything. But this is actually something God is using you for. And God has brought this victory to you today. And Abraham's response is, it says, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. He didn't give him a tenth of his um, income. He just, everything he had. He says, right here, a tenth of it is yours to the priest. Now, no one told him to do that as far as we know. How did he know to give a tenth? But what's going on here is like the heart, the overflow of realising what God has given us and realising that God actually possesses heaven and earth and everything in it. And therefore, everything we have comes from him. 10% is a kind of overflow response to God. Say, God, please have 10%. You gave me everything. Have 10%. And many, many churches, um, congregations around the world today practice tithing. Here we have it as a precedent set by our forefather Abraham, which is very cool. Verse 21, and the king of Sodom said to Abraham, 
give me the persons. So, like, give me all the people you've saved, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He's using his already his recent theology. He's been given by the priest. He's using that term now. He And he's saying, I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything else that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten. So these guys have already eaten something because they've been fighting battles all day. And the share of the men who went with me, let Aner, Eshkol and Mamre take their share. So he had teamed up with some other leaders from the region who were allies of his. He So that's again, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes all his enemies live at peace with him. The Bible says Abraham had built friendships with the people around and not in a wrong way um, in the sense of like building unholy alliances. But he had built natural friendships with these guys around him and they were he was able to call on them in a time of need. And then he says, well, sure, let these guys, obviously these guys, they, they're just, they're not the same as me. They're not people of faith. They're not coming into this battle knowing that God's given them the victory. So by all means, reward them, give them their share. Great. But actually for me, I'm just going to take back what was taken from me, which is my nephew, his wife, his children and his stuff. That's all I'm interested in. And I certainly do not want the king of Sodom saying, I made Abraham rich. He was nobody until I found him. He's saying, no, listen, God, the possessor of heaven and earth, is the one who's given me everything, is the one who's made me rich. And he's the one who I'm honouring in this 10% tithe that I'm giving over to him. As a different kind of tithe to what the Israelites did because their tithe was on the increase. It seems that Abraham's tithe was just on everything he had. It's just like, right, let's divide the herd up. 10%, off it goes. Melchizedek, take it. So I'm sorry, Wills, that you're having problems with the reception. Um, but listen, you guys, stick with the main point. You can pick this up again. It will be on my podcast. It will be on YouTube. Don't get distracted. God is actually wanting to speak to us today. He wants us to begin to move in this call that he's put in our hearts to make disciples and to be a father or a mother to people and teach them the ways of God. Even before we come into what we think is our main thing. <laughs> because actually, sometimes the main thing is way, way down the road. And we've got some stuff to do before we get to that. So have an amazing day, you guys. And God bless you. And remember that he's the possessor of heaven and earth. And everything you have comes from him. So do honour him with your finance and honour him with what you have. And yeah, may God bless you and prosper you in Jesus' name. Have an amazing day, you guys. Lots of love. Thank you. 
I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Uh, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.